on the 2nd of February, Friday night, February the 2nd, 7 p.m. over at Institut Biblique du Québec, which is the Bible college uh, close to the Jacques Cartier Bridge. And uh, we're going to be screening a movie that uh, came and went and played for one day uh, in October. It's called What Rhymes With Reason. You've probably never heard of this movie, but now it's being played in churches and youth groups across uh, North America and uh, deals with the very sensitive subject of uh, mental health and suicide and teens. And it's uh, extremely uh, well done and uh, kind of set in the context of sort of an adventure, but deals with those very serious subjects. And so we're going to be screening that on Friday night, Feb 2, over at the Bible College. Uh, we'll bring in some pizza. There's a small cost to this. Parents, I know that you know you bring your kids there, and then what do you do for two hours? So if you want to come and watch it, no problem. We will still charge you the five bucks to the, to cover the pizza and a little bit of the uh, the cost of the movie. All right. So there's a sign up sheet out in the in the uh, corridor. You can visit with Ezra. Put your hand up, Ezra, and he will answer any questions that you have there. But that's going to be a fun night. We've done that a couple of times at the Bible College, and it's nice there. So wanted to let you know of that as well. And now I'm going to let the kids. Be dismissed. Uh, you're ready, Rose and Michelle? Okay, so the, the kids up to, uh, what is it, um, uh, grades uh, 12, you can head this way, and screen number 11, they are set up for them. We're keeping the students in today. They were out last week, but we're going to keep them in today as well. Uh, and uh, I'll give you a chance to give in person. I see the people with the baskets there, so if you're new here, that's... Uh, just one of the many ways that you can you can do it in this church. We do electronic giving any way you want. Um, as I often joke, we just don't take iTunes cards or Bitcoin. But I'm working on this. Okay, so if you get a phone call from somebody from the church and they say you have to give, we need iTunes cards. You know, don't believe them. All right, don't believe them. Okay, so uh, we are in part three of this series in the winter called Discern. Discern, and I appreciate the, the song choices this morning. They have something to do with this idea of discernment. So if you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, discernment is a, is, um, a word that we don't always use in the modern language, but the scripture does use it a fair bit. And it means to, to determine, to distinguish, to focus, uh, to, to see something in a detailed way, this kind of thing. And we've been talking about how we all discern. We discern all the time. And we just don't use that word necessarily, but we make these, these choices based on the answers to a number of questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And we ask these questions all the time. You did this morning. You, 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 you went through all of this as you made a decision to come here. Uh, you may not realize it, but you probably went through all of those things. Why am I going here? How am I going to get there? Where is it? When is it? 
What are we, why, what am I doing this for? <laughs> Who's there? Who, who, who do I want to see? Maybe who do I not want to see? Uh, you know, you, you went through all of these questions as you made the decision to come here. And even people who are watching online, you went through some sort of decision process as you, you, you stayed home and you watched it online. And I'm so glad that we have it. I know there's people who you're, you're at home, you're watching because you just physically can't come. And so I'm delighted that we have that, and hopefully it's looking good, and my face is focused, and all of the blemishes are showing up just beautifully for all the people back home. They can press pause to see all of those things, right? So, so we, discern, we discern all of the time, and this really is what we mean when we talk about science. And uh, you can probably tell by now that, that I'm bothered when I meet Christians who don't like science and avoid the topic and think somehow that science and their faith are, are contradictory, you know, you better not get into that, especially don't get into the hard sciences because you get into the hard sciences and you're going to lose your Christianity. So don't ask those questions in that realm. I, I very frankly disagree with that. And uh, in my view, all of this who, what, where, when, why, how, this is what this is what it's all based on the fact that well there seems to be some predictability in the cosmos there seems to be things that repeat themselves why is that and and when we observe these things we learn more about how the creator went about his business and we learn these things i was uh, teasing the um the wednesday night uh, bible study group we have a group that meets on zoom at 7 and um, we, we got into the, this topic of, of origins, because I know that's the elephant in the room when we talk about discernment and we talk about actually asking questions about things and we get into that subject, then people say, well, come on, you know, uh, it, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't the origin story and Genesis and, you know, 15, 14 billion years contradict. Uh, isn't there a problem with all of that? And so I said, okay, I will give you my view of this on Sunday. So maybe that's why there's, I see the group is here in the seats, you know, on Sunday. So in my view, I have a very bizarre view of this, having looked at it for some three decades now. Uh, in my view, just talking on the, on the general subject, uh, I have the, I, I side on the radical, uh, very fringe side that the God created everything in, in seven days. I'm on that side. But I'm not on that side the way that people who are on that side want me to be on that side. <laughs> so that's called a young earth creation position. It's very minority. It's very fringe. It's very extreme in the broader sense of academia. Very much so. And I have friends who run around. I have one, one friend and he goes all over the country, all over Canada, lecturing on this subject. And it will tell you, or at least try to tell you from geology and from astrophysics and from astronomy, you know, how God created the world in six, six days and rested on the seventh day and how the cosmos is 10,000 years old and all of this. And folks, I've seen all of those arguments. I know all of those arguments in favor of this very fringe position. 
uh, I'll be very honest with you, it's gonna shock some of you in the room. I haven't seen one compelling argument on that side. Just, and I've looked at it for about three decades, not one compelling argument, but I still believe it. <laughs> you say, what's wrong with you? How can you believe something that you can't back up that way? Well, because of our subject matter today. We're talking about discernment between the natural and the spiritual. And in my view, the creation is of the spiritual. This is a miraculous thing. You're not going to be able to demonstrate this with astronomy and astrology. Uh, I was going to say astrology. Astronomy and astrophysics and geology, you're not going to be able to demonstrate it, okay? It's a, mirac a miraculous thing, and you're not going to be able to prove it. So I'm on the fringe, but I'm on the fringe for those reasons. But I want to use that as a hook to talk to you about this subject of discernment between the natural and the spiritual, the natural and the spiritual. What do I mean? When we talk about the natural, we have, and this is a dominant view, it's certainly in North American culture, is naturalism. And in naturalism, all you have, all that exists, is what we can explain, what we can demonstrate, what we can uh, observe, what we can test, uh, this is what exists. And so in the naturalist view, there is no spiritual. So there is no God. There is no afterlife. Man, humankind doesn't have some sort of infinite soul or spirit. Uh, there's no spiritual world. Uh, there's none of that. All there is is what we see, what we touch, what we hear, what we can observe, even using technology, what we can observe, what we can see, what we can understand, what we can explain. And the rest of it doesn't exist. Uh, I sometimes call this the Scooby-Doo view. Any of you watch Scooby-Doo when you were a little kid? I used it, maybe it's getting too old now and some people don't know Scooby-Doo. Well, the old Scooby-Doo, I'm talking about the old one from like the 70s and the 80s. If you remember watching that, when you came home from school and, and you ran and turned on Scooby-Doo. The Scooby-Doo worldview is a naturalist view because in Scooby-Doo land, of course, you had these supposed ghosts and scary things that were, you know, scaring people and da-da-da-da. And, and Scooby-Doo and his gang there I'm kind of like Shaggy, if you remember Shaggy, okay? You're right, some of you remember, so you are kind of like Shaggy. So the Scooby-Doo and his gang, they would say, no, 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 no. There's nothing spiritual about this. There's a natural explanation to what is going on here. There's some sleight of hand going on here, and that's what, that's what it is. So that's the naturalist view. So I love Scooby-Doo because there's always an explanation, you see. And this is the predominant view of, of the modern culture, okay? That's naturalism. Now, it, there's another view. And the Christian is open to this as well. And that is that there is a spiritual world as well. So it's not just natural. There's a spiritual thing that we have to uh, acknowledge exists. So there is a God. There is an all-powerful all-knowing, supernatural, uh, all-present creator, God who is personal and who wants a relationship with us and who is invisible. 
He exists in the mind of the believer. There is an afterlife. There is something after this life. There is a world that we don't normally see and that we cannot explain this way. It's got to be explained this way. So, yeah, Scooby-Doo is really good, but sometimes Scooby-Doo just can't explain it. And in the naturalist's mind, well, we'll be able to explain it one day. In the mind of the person who says, well, there's a spiritual world, what about that? Why are we not asking questions about that? And the Christian acknowledges that both of these worlds exist. And that is what you have to figure out. What am I dealing with here? And how do I discern? And how do I know the difference? And this is why I side on the very radical side of origins, because I think that it was a miraculous thing that God created. I don't think it can be proven by any kind of scientific method and all of this, who, what, where, when, why, and how in that sphere. I don't think you can. And if you ask even the, even the, the, the naturalist, uh, you know, evolutionary biologist, chemist, astronomer, astrophysicist, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say we can answer a lot of questions using this but we can't answer the question of how it started. We have no clue. If we're being honest, we have no clue how it started. And I've heard all kinds of explanations from them as to how it started. Maybe the proteins and amino acids were carried on the backs of alien ships and dropped into the primordial soup of planet Earth five billion years ago. They say that with a straight face, folks. So for me, <laughs> I go to a spiritual explanation because you run out of options in the natural and you're left with no explanation. The question is, how do we know the difference between the natural and the spiritual? And why does it matter even? Some may say, well, who cares? Well, I'll tell you why, because there's two extremes for the believer that I have seen, and you've seen it too. I'll call one on the one side the Gnostic Christian. Gnosticism was a view back in the time of the New Testament where um, truth and uh, salvation were found in knowledge, gnosis. So they were not found in the physical world. They were found in secret knowledge. And the Gnostics had a huge problem with the idea that God could become flesh. So the, 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 the central teaching of the incarnation of Jesus, that God became flesh, was a big issue for Gnostics. And this is why you see even the early stuff in the New Testament, you can see them combating this. John, in 1 John, he says, that which we have seen, that which our hands have touched, which we've heard, uh, talking about Jesus, he says in, in his own gospel there, the word became flesh. Uh, Paul deals with this in the, to the Colossians, talking about how in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Bodily form. 
at Christmas time, we acknowledge this. We say God became flesh, flesh and bones, a body. And this, the Gnostics did not like this. For them, the physical world was the source of problems. You have to be uh, escape from the physical world through secret knowledge. And some Christians are like Gnostics. They, everything for them is spiritual. Everything has a spiritual explanation. So they don't like Scooby-Doo. Everything has a spiritual explanation. And this can be very, very dangerous because they can, they can become, um, uh, you know, things will happen to a Gnostic Christian. Suffering may come into their life. Sickness may come into their life. Problems, poverty, all kinds of things, so family breakup, divorce, whatever may come into their lives. And they say, well, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spirit. It's a curse. It's a this. It's a that. I've seen some Gnostic Christians and, you know, they get sick and it's a demon. And they, they turn into demon slayers looking for demons everywhere, like some Hollywood movie. And their, their minds are so obsessed with spirituality that the, it's anything that's natural, that's in the physical world, it becomes an issue for them. And no, everything has to have a spiritual explanation. I drop something on the floor. Oh, it's, uh, it's an omen. It's a sign. It's a, this. Uh, this is extreme, folks. And you have to watch out for that. There's a type of Christianity that's on that side. And it's like the Gnostics from the first century. That's one extreme. The other extreme is the naturalist Christian. And the naturalist Christian, they like Scooby-Doo so much that everything has a natural explanation. <laughs> God could be knocking on their door, you know, like going like this. And they would say, no, 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 it's not God. It's, um, it's my eyes. It's... It's bad pizza from the night before. It's, it's, and God could be saying, hello, it's me. I, I want to talk to you about something really, really important. So much so that I'm deciding to show myself to you in a visual fashion. No, 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 no. There must be an explanation for this. It can't be God. And no, avoid everything spiritual. Avoid it. And in this, in a naturalist Christian, I mean, this sort of like God can't do anything in your life. God never does anything in your life sh short of forgiving you of your sin. That's it. That's where the buck stops. And it's like God doesn't do anything. He just kind of is waiting for you to, to pass from this life to the next life. And he's not going to do anything in your life in the here and now. This too is an extreme that you want to avoid. So how do you tell the difference and how do you navigate and live in the tension of two worlds, not one? Great story that you may not be so familiar with from the old, old, old testament. Okay, this is an old, old narrative. This is from 2 Kings chapter 6. So you've got to go in a time warp there. You're talking 9th century B.C. So this is, you know, almost 3,000 years ago. And you, you're back in the time of uh, Elisha the prophet. The kingdom has gone through a civil war. Uh, from 922, you have the split in the kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Elisha is a prophet uh, to the kings up in the north. 
and you have this really amazing story that shows both of these worlds at the same time. So 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, now the king of Aram, his name we know from the history books was Ben-Hadad II, was warring against Israel. The king there is Jehoram. And he counseled his servants, saying, in, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And so the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. So uh, Elisha seems to know where the Arameans will be. And verse 10, the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and so he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11, now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he calls his servants and he says to them, effectively, who's the spy? There's got to be a spy among us. Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants turns and says, no, 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 it's not like that. There's no spy. There's nobody giving a tip off as to where we are encamped. I'm going to tell you the problem, Ben-Hadad II. It's Elisha. He's the problem. And he is the prophet who is in Israel. And he gets, get this, he tells the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. So in a sense, what's being said here by this servant of Ben-Hadad II is there is a big problem by, caused by one man, Elisha. And he knows things. He knows what you say in your bedroom. He knows where we are. And he is the problem that we are up against. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and take him, the king says. Uh, and the servant turns around and he says he's in Dothan. Dothan's about 10 miles away. So he sends uh, no, maybe not 10 miles from there, but 10 miles from another place. I'll tell you in a second. So we're not sure where uh, the Arameans are. So, but we know that Elisha is in Dothan. Verse 14, so he, he says, okay, send an army over to Dothan. Horses, chariots, and they go there, and they're basically looking for one man, Elisha. If they can find him and deal with him, then they're going to have more success in dealing with their arch enemy, Israel. So they come by night and they surround the city of Dothan with an army going after one man, Elisha. Verse 15. Now, when the attendant of Elisha had risen early and gone out, he goes and he looks and he sees we are, we are in huge trouble there is an army that is encamped around us with horses, with chariots by night, and we're in big trouble. And his servant says uh, to Elisha, he says, what shall we do? He's in shock. And watch Elisha. Elisha answers verse 16, 
do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So Elisha's saying, they're outnumbered, not us. What does he see? Then Elisha, verse 17, prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they came down to him, this is the, the army of the Arameans, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said this, strike the people with blindness, I pray. And so God struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And then Elisha said to them, he's going to play with them now. He says to this army, this is not the way nor is this the city, follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. <laughs> and he brought them to Samaria, 10 miles away from Dothan. It's the capital of Israel to the north. So he's going to lead them into the fire. And they're blinded. Presumably, he tells them, okay, everybody join hands. And they have a way of, you know, traveling this 10 miles. So number one, he prayed, and his servant was able to see that Elisha had a, like a divine army of protection around him. And he prays again, and the whole Aramean army is blind. And then he's going to have a little bit of fun with them. And he's going to bring them to the capital city of Israel, presumably to be slaughtered. Verse 20, when they came into Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Interesting. First, open the eyes of the servant that the servant may see the divine army. And now open the eyes of the Arameans that they may see where they are. So the Lord opened their eyes, and when they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Uh-oh. Then the king of Israel, Jehoram, when he saw them, he says to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? This is perfect. You've brought them right in. We can slaughter them. And Elisha answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those who you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. What? What a response. So he prepared a great feast for them. They are arch enemies. And when they had eaten and drunk, he set them away, and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel, at least for a time. You'll read later on, they go right back to war again, but not for this time. What a curious and strange story. A few lessons from this. Number one, it's pretty obvious, the natural and the spiritual, they coexist. And they interact. You see it in the story. Uh, it's not that, well, now we live in the natural, 
And when we die, we'll live in the spiritual. No, they're both existing at the same time. And this is 3,000-year-old narrative. They both exist at the same time, and they both interact. Now, we're not really aware of this most of the time, but indeed, if we're going to believe this narrative, and it's fairly lengthy, then they exist at the same time, and they are interacting with one another. Hmm. Number two, the experience, and this is going to bother some of you, the experience of the spiritual is the exception. What do I mean by this? Verse 11, when the king of Aram hears that Israel keeps getting tipped off as to the whereabouts of the Aramean army, he gets very upset. His immediate conclusion is a natural one. There is a spy among us. Find the spy, get rid of the spy, and we will now be on a level playing field with our enemies. Why does he turn to this as the option and as the explanation? He doesn't say, well, you know, there's some prophet who has these perpetual kind of words of knowledge about us, and that's the issue. That's not his view. His view is a natural view. And the reality is we live in that, folks. We live and exist and experience, for the most part, the natural. The who, what, where, when, why, and how that we're asking ourselves every day usually has to do with the natural. Rarely do we jump to the spiritual as an explanation for everything. If we do, sometimes we can go too far. We end up being like those Gnostic Christians and everything is a spirit and there's a, you know, a devil under every, every doily kind of thing. So the experience of the spiritual is exceptional. That's why we use the term miracle, because it doesn't happen every second of every moment of every day. Now, I've heard the expression, you know, miracles happen every day. It depends what you, what you call a miracle, folks. What the, sometimes what the New Testament calls a miracle and what we call a miracle are a little bit different. So it depends. You've got to qualify that a little bit. I mean, I have seen the spiritual. I have seen the supernatural. Very rarely have I seen it to the extent that I would say this is something out of the New Testament seeing a, a sick person divinely healed, like truly divinely healed. I've seen it, but very, very rarely. You say, well, that's your problem, Pastor. Well, maybe so, but I've seen the other a lot more often. I've seen the natural a lot more often than I've seen the spiritual. And the reality is, that's what we live in. That's what you and I live in. We live in the natural. So the spiritual is more of the exception than the norm, at least in terms of our experience. Aha! How do you understand the spiritual then? Well, we are dependent on God for that one. So we're dependent on him to reveal it to us, to pull back the curtain and to show it to us. You see the, the servant of Elisha, he's exactly in that place. So he goes outside in the early morning and he sees the Aramean army has surrounded Dothan. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, he's surrounded Elisha there, and uh, he says there's trouble, there's trouble, and this is what he sees with his natural understanding and his natural experience. But aha, we have a prophet on the scene, and this prophet is, is able to pray so that the servant can see something that he normally wouldn't see. It's revealed to him, albeit for a brief period of time, he sees it. Now, Elisha is an interesting person because it, this is not a unique thing uh, uh, to Elisha per se, but he operates in it quite often. So in the New Testament, we see this explained to us somewhat briefly, but we see it explained to us by the, the Apostle Paul. And he's talking about these spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, and one of them is what he terms a word of knowledge. And this means that an individual knows something revealed to them by the Holy Spirit that they couldn't otherwise know, like the location of the army. He knows this, like the words you speak in your bedroom, Ben-Hadad, be careful. So he knows these things. He knows them because God shows him these things. Apostle Paul, he's declaring the same thing, that God is able to do that, and it, but we have to depend on him for that. And we see Elisha prays again. He prays and he blinds a whole army. Interesting, not that unique to him. We see Paul do the same thing in the book of Acts. This is done through, through Paul and uh, the power of God moving through Paul, similar to Elisha, albeit in a smaller way. We see Elisha again pray, and now they can see. But again, this is, a, this is the act of God. And Elisha is a man who's dependent on God. Uh, hopefully, if you get one thing out of this message, it motivates you to pray more. You're not, going to, you're not going to perceive or discern the spiritual without prayer. You're not. You may end up a Gnostic Christian and be on the demon slayer you know, side of, of theology and the bizarre side of theology, but if you're not praying and you're not praying properly, you're not going to perceive it. You're not going to discern it. You're not going to see it. And you'll rarely experience it. It is through prayer that you learn to depend on God. And then God starts to show you things. He starts to peel back the curtain in things. He starts to reveal things to you. Beginning of the year, great time to dig your, dig your, your heart a little bit into prayer. Prayer and Bible reading more, the more dependency you develop, the more you depend on God. And the more you depend on God, the more God is going to start to show you. If anybody learned this, it was Elisha. And you see, the, you know, the servant, the servant is living between two worlds. And God shows him through this gifted man, Elisha, something that he doesn't normally see. And finally, uh, the really beautiful part of the story is the character of Elisha. As you read through the story, you'd think he's going to bring the Arameans to the slaughter. 
He's going to bring them into, into Samaria, and Samaria is going to wipe out this, this army once and for all. But Elisha says, no. Look at his character. I mean, it's as if the man is reading the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Uh, it's as if he's reading the book of Romans. Is your enemy thirsty? Give him something to drink. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, and here he's, he's blessing his enemy. The, the king says, hey, shall I kill them? And Elisha, no, 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 no. You've got this all wrong. I brought them over here to teach them a lesson. We're going to do the opposite of what they expect. Prepare the meal. Give them a great feast. And they'll be on their merry way. And we'll have peace for a while. They won't come and attack us for a while. And that's exactly what happened. Look at the character on this man. I mean, he may be gifted like, like in, a, in a very intense fashion. But that's not, that's not to be replaced. Uh, or uh, the, the giftedness doesn't replace the man's character. First and foremost, wow, look at the character on him. Look at how he understands uh, grace. Look at how he understands this concept of blessing your enemies well before Jesus is on the scene to teach it. Amazing. And this is needed in both the natural experiences of life and the spiritual experiences of life. You better have character, folks. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. There's lots of people in many churches, and they're gifted beyond description. They can do anything. They can say anything. And it's just you look and you say, look at the giftedness and the ability and the talent of such and such and such a person. At the end of the day, if there's no character there, folks, then all that giftedness is for naught. The character has to be the foundation of it all, whether you're experiencing the natural, whether you're experiencing the spiritual, character is foremost and paramount to all of it. And these little tips will help you as you live in both worlds, my friends. Whether you acknowledge it or not, and even the, the maybe some naturalists in the crowd here or you're watching online, whether you acknowledge it or not, I promise you, you're living in both of those worlds, whether you believe it or not or whether you understand it or not. And you're going to run into things in life that you cannot explain. Will you discern that, hey, maybe there's something else to this? Maybe there is a God who's, who's there. Maybe he is reaching out to me. Maybe he is guiding my life. Maybe this needs to be explored and sought out rather than dismissed. And maybe it's not all Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and maybe there's something else and someone else uh, who wants that relationship with you and wants you to experience him. Would you stand with me, please, as we finish up here? And I know there's a couple of musicians left you want to come up and, and play, uh, Nick and, um, and Viano, I think you're in the room. You can come and play quietly. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I think of um, uh, uh, the people in this room and people online. And uh, boy, oh boy, we look around at the world and we see all of these things and so much trouble. 
one after the other after the other, and it seems like it just is relentless. And, and Lord, I think of people in their own personal lives, it's just, it's like a domino. One falls and the next one falls and they can't get up can't get a break, can't get a, a rest from it, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And God, we try to make it through and we try to discern our way through. But Lord, I pray that you would help us above all things to be dependent upon you, O oh God, to call out to you when we don't understand, to, to uh, uh, listen for the voice of the Spirit of God, to, uh, to wait in your presence, to seek your face, uh, to call upon you that you would show yourself, that you would reveal the, the answer to us, the solution to us, the way to make it through, the way to take another step, to, to move another day, another month, another year through whatever we're facing, O oh God. As we live between both worlds, help us to hold on to the hand of the Master and not let go, O oh God. I pray for families that are in this room and uh, people with kids and grandkids that are big part of their lives, oh God, that we would, we would somehow show them uh, that God is just as real as, as the exam they have to take tomorrow, that, that even as they're walking through their own lives, they too can hold on to the hand of God through it all. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each home, your blessing upon each family in these winter months. It can be tough. It can be uh, uh, depressing. I pray in the name of Jesus, fill people with hope, fill people with your presence and your spirit and the light of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your kids in 11. Uh, and if you want to uh, uh, register for the movie on Feb 2, we're going to have a great time together that night. God bless you, everyone. Have a good Sunday.